Thank you, Pastor Chad. Thank you, Brother Mark, for leading us in our music. And uh, I tell you, the singing sounds so good. You all sound so good. I just wish I had a recording. But, you know, it inspires me. I like to just listen to fellow believers uh, singing praises to the Lord. That's what worship is about. It's God's people singing from our hearts. You know, it doesn't mean everything has to be going well in your life and everything coming together and, you know, and, uh, you know, you don't have to be feeling 100%. You can still sing praises to the Lord. I don't know about you. Just singing praises to the Lord with these majestic hymns a lot of times help to get, get to my mind off of some problems. And, you know, just kind of focus on the Lord. And so worship is such a great opportunity that we have. This morning we're going to worship the Word. I worship the Lord in His Word, and I'll encourage you to turn to Psalm 73. We've been preaching through the book of Psalms, not all of them. We have been selecting certain ones. As I shared with you, the book of Psalms is divided into five books, and uh, we are actually entering into the third book of the Psalms, uh, beginning in Psalm 73, a psalm that's attributed to the uh, choir leader by the name of Asaph. And Asaph is one of a number of choir leaders back in the ancient uh, uh, Hebrew days when the, uh, during the uh, uh, time of the temple, the tabernacle, etc. And uh, he uh, is, is given credit for this, this psalm. And it's a psalm that speaks to the tragedy of the wicked and also the blessedness of those who trust in, in God. And I hope that this will speak to your heart this morning as we look at this. I want to first of all focus on verse 1 as we open up this psalm that talks about uh, our relationship with God. I, I think it's interesting because as we go further in the psalm, you'll, you'll see that psalm, uh, uh, verse 1 rather, kind of stands out almost uh, apart from the rest of the body of the psalm. It's almost like a separate declaration as if the psalmist is wanting to make a declaration and then get into the body of the text and the message of what he is inspired by God to say. And that, it, look with me there in verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. And he's making that statement, that declaration. God is good to Israel. And of course, he's writing this predominantly to Israelites. But the underlying message is yes, God is good to Israel, but not all of Israel. Because look what he says after that. To such as are pure in heart. Now, certainly being pure in heart means you have good motives and you have good actions and you are living godly and, and you're good, you know, generally. A good moral person, pure in heart. But you know, in the Hebrew language, that goes a little further. Because it means those who are obedient to God. So God is good to all the Israelites who are obedient to Him. So don't think that just because you're an Israelite that you're under the blanket of God's eternal blessings. And that's why I tell people, you know, sure, we say God bless America. And no doubt God has blessed America and is blessing America. But... The, the blessings, the eternal promises of God are not to all Americans. It's to those who are pure in heart. That's why in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, you recall Jesus used that expression in verse 8. 
When he's going down through the blessed, happy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we can stand right there on that declaration, oh, God is good. Make no mistake about it. God is good to His people. Make no mistake about it. And because of our purity of heart towards God, one day, brothers and sisters, we will see God. Amen? Face to face. Just like my Uncle Huel. 99 and a half years. I was so hoping he was going to make it to 100. And I'd go by that nursing home and I, I would visit with him and we'd talk scripture. He loved God. He loved the Lord. Oh, he was a pure heart man. And one of the things that he and I would do, he had a little notebook with all the songs, the lyrics of hymns. And he would say, get my notebook out of the closet up there, son. And I'd get it out and we'd just launch into singing, you know. Uh, how great thou art what a friend we have in Jesus I come to the garden victory in Jesus we'd just be singing and you know he loved to sing and I was thinking my goodness he's he's seeing God right now he's seeing the Lord face to face praise God that's what it's all about well as we move further you're going to see two contrasting groups that the psalmist is focusing on Asaph is focusing on in the body of this psalm and so we're going to be talking about something that I believe will probably hit close to home for many of us as believers. And so, first of all, as I was thinking about the message of this psalm and, and what it had to say to us, I, I was thinking about Dr. James Dobson. He's a Christian psychologist, renowned author, founder of the Focus on the Family, a worldwide organization. Back in 1993, he wrote a book that captured a lot of people's attention and became very popular. And he wrote many books, but this one certainly had its share of readers. It was entitled simply, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And as I was reading this book, and, and I remember he was recounting from his own experience with obvious pain, he shared about four very close friends of his that had come out to visit with him for a retreat. And he was sharing that these were close friends. They were godly Christian men. They were family men. They were men who were profession, professional men in different ways. One was a, a banker. One was a doctor. One was a successful entrepreneur. One was a minister. And Dr. Dobson is recounting how they met the night before the morning they flew out on their private plane and en route out of the Wyoming mountains their plane went down. And just like that, all four of these godly, very promising men were snuffed out. Their lives were snuffed out, out into eternity. I know Dr. Dobson, being a strong man of the Word and faith in God, certainly struggled with that why would God allow something as tragic as this and all through the book when God doesn't make sense he peppers in stories of people talking about circumstances and situations and, and, and where it seemed it was hard to reason how a loving and merciful and just God would allow such painful and tragic things to come into people's lives if we're honest I'm sure at some point in our lives, too, we have asked, why? God, it doesn't make sense. Whether it relates to you or your family, or maybe you just read of something like, you know, horrific 
tour bus crash or airliner going down and innocent children being snuffed out like that, their lives taken. I know that former Cornerstone member Linda Cantrell could certainly testify to this very thought when late one July evening in 1988, after attending church that evening, her sweet daughter, 16-year-old daughter Crystal, after having visited with her boyfriend and her, his family, was, was driving home. And along the way, a drug-crazed gunman stopped her and killed her. And I know that that had to go through Linda's mind. You know, why? It doesn't make sense. And to make that insult to injury, whereas her daughter's life prematurely ended like that, this man now is out, out, living free, going on with his life. And that leaves us perplexed. Well, don't feel alone as we venture further because I want you to see the formation of the believer's perplexity. There are times, even for the strongest Christian, the most dedicated Christian, that we will be perplexed in our relationship with God. And as we look at the psalmist in verse 2 and 3, I want you to observe this believer here. And, and he's talking about his feelings for what is seeming unwarranted favor enjoyed by the wicked while the righteous suffer. And so as we begin, I want you to first of all look at this confession that the psalmist makes in verses 2 and 3. He says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now I want you to notice the adverbs almost stumbled and nearly slipped. He didn't fall away. But because of what he was seeing going around him, going on around him that he didn't understand, he was stumbling. He was slipping. Hold your place there. Let me read out of Psalm 37. Reassuring words in verse 23. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Good news, Christians, we all stumble along the way. As I get older, I'm stumbling more. <laughs> but, but in our faith walk, in our spiritual walk, we will stumble. But we have the promise of the Word of God that because we belong to Him, our faith is in Him, our trust is in Him, He is holding us by our hands. We will stumble, but we will not utterly fall. Praise God for that reassurance. So right out of the gate, the psalmist is confessing, look, I've stumbled. My goodness, I look around, I see what's going on around me, and in my faith and my relationship with the Lord, I, I have stumbled. And, and so look at some of the observations of this believer as he looks around at the wicked crowd. And by the way, the wicked are those who don't know God, who don't love God, who don't serve God. The psalms tell us that it is a fool who says there's no God. Now, I don't like to use that word often because I was often chastised as a child if you ever call somebody a fool. But hey, the Bible is pretty plain. If you say there's no God, in God's eyes, you're a fool. So we're talking about fools here, okay? But, but to the psalmist, as he observes the wicked crowd, the, the ungodly crowd, I want you to look with me in verse 4 and 5. He says, For there are no pangs in their death, 
but their strength is, is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued by other men. In other words, he observes what appears to be a trouble-free, pleasurable life. These who don't know God, who don't love God, have no time for God. It just seems like unfairly that their lives are going along smoothly. They're enjoying the prosperity of the world and they are living a relatively pain-free life. And on the surface, as we watch the television programs like the lifestyle of the rich and famous and other shows that highlight those who are filthy rich or extremely prominent and powerful, it just seems like, my goodness, everything's going well for them. I know there are clear exceptions. But you and I undoubtedly know situations similar to that. You think about the drug using, bar-hopping, immoral people who have lucrative careers, driving fancy cars, money coming out of their ears, and just seems like everything they touch turns to gold. They don't have a care in the world. And, and here you are, you're committed to the Lord, you're dedicated to serving Him, and it seems like, you know, that you hardly get by financially and you suffer in one hardship after another and you look at them and you look at yourself and you say, well, this just doesn't seem fair. As we look further, he talks about also another observation in verses 6 and 8. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could, could uh, wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. He says, another thing I see. Not only does it seem that they live a trouble-free and pleasurable life, but it seems like they, they're so boastful and evil in their attitudes. They've got stinking attitudes when it comes to the things of God. And he's pointing out, they adorn themselves with this selfish pride. Oh! I remember a song back in the, I'll date myself, this was probably back in the 80s or something like that, where it said, you're so vain. That's the world's crowd, man. They wear their pride out there. Look at me. Look how good I am. Look how handsome I am. How good looking I am. Uh, how rich I am. And all the time, they, they clothe themselves with these violent, deceptive, deceitful schemes. They're always looking out. For how they can undercut people for their own advantage. And their, their sinful appetites just including ex excesses. A disgusting excess. Have you ever noticed? The very wealthy, the very, you know, the very privileged. Man, they don't just put on dinners. I mean, they put on spreads. I mean, the whole idea is to not just have a lot of food. But just have just absolute excess where you're almost like swimming in food. It's more than anybody could possibly eat. You know, because, my goodness, after all, that says something about your status. And so, the, you know, the psalmist was, was right. He says their, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than, you know, their eyes. Literally, he's saying their eyeballs are puffing out. Now, I've gone to Golden Corral and probably come out looking something like that. But my eyeballs weren't really what was puffing out. The strain on my belt. But, but, but that, that, that attitude, you know, of, of just being so proud and, and so deceitful. And, and they don't care if, 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 it, if it hurt, if their schemes hurt someone, if it undermines someone, if it's at the expense of someone. So what? 
I'm getting richer. I'm getting famous. And that's really what all matters. Let's party. So it was this boastful attitude that the psalmist was seeing. They're accumulating wealth. They're accumulating possession with no regard to human life. You know, I had to stop and thank you as I was preparing the message and I saw that. I think about Planned Parenthood. That devious organization that claims to be humanitarian. My goodness. What a cloak of deception. When you're out there killing babies and selling the parts to make money, folks, there's something terribly wrong. But that's what the psalmist is saying. Look at the heart. Understand that. They scoff, he says in verse 8, and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily of themselves. But then it just gets worse. Another observation of the psalmist. He's saying, and and they have blatant disregard for God. Look at verse 9 through 12. They set their mouth against heaven and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore His people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? They're challenging the omniscience of God. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in their riches The psalmist is saying, my goodness, listen how blatantly disrespectful they are to God. They look up towards heaven and talk about the man upstairs. If they even acknowledge that there is a deity. And they're so puffed up. They question, how can can God know everything? Surely as intelligent and well informed as we are, we know some things that God doesn't know. And by the way, our schemes are made without God even being aware of it. Oh, listen, when the psalmist talks about, they like to brag. Look in verse 9, it says, And their their tongue walks through the earth. I I would insert the the word struts through the earth. There are a lot of the proud and boastful, ungodly crowd out there. Oh, they love to hear themselves talk. They'll they'll get in front of a microphone if, if there's some press... Uh, 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 gathering there and there's going to be a press release they love to get in front of the microphone and just go on and talk about themselves and talk about how great they are and just run other people down oh their tongues walk through the earth they don't care where they go who they encounter they love talking about themselves and it just seems he says that with this blatant disregard of God disrespect for God Sneering at God's people and godly wisdom. Like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they love to hear themselves talk. But what they're saying is not truth. And the psalmist is wrestling with this in verse 12 again. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease, they increase in their riches. Do you sense the perplexity in his soul? Do you you sense the vexation in his spirit? He he sees it. And he's wondering what in the world's going on. Especially when you are under pressure and burdens and problems and struggling and suffering as a child of God. As we move further in verse 13 through 14, you see a, a brief confession Yet another confession, if you will. The psalmist saying, and I, you know, that's the beauty of the Word of God, brothers and sisters. If this was just some polished document to falsely mislead people, don't you think 
The writers would have left out the bad parts that, that made God look bad or make God's people look bad. Hey, come on. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all rolled up in here. And the psalmist is not hiding. He says he's not hiding his sentiments even here in verses 13 and 14 through this confession. He's pouring his heart out to God. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. That expression, washing his hand in innocence, is echoing from Psalm 26.6 where the psalmist says, I will wash my hands in innocence so I will go, out, go about your altar, O Lord. In other words, I will prepare myself. I'll wash my hands of any iniquity. Here I am, washing my hands, confessing my sins, seeking to live a good and godly, righteous life before the ungodly world around me. And he says, is it, is it in vain? Peter admonished the early believers who were being persecuted, by the way, by a very wicked and, and, and ungodly generation, the Roman empire at that time. And listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Peter says, Beloved, I, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. In other words, this world's not our home. This is not the final story, not, not, not the final chapter in our lives. We're simply passing through. Too many Christians are trying to build their empire in this world. They're trying to sink, put down anchor in this world as if this is where it really counts. Folks, we're passing through. He says, real pilgrims, you're sojourners. You're simply traveling through. Your home is in eternity in the presence of God. So he says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Don't stop washing your hands in innocence. Don't stop purifying your soul through confession. Don't stop coming to the Word of God and making commitments to live according to the righteous and godly teachings of Almighty God. Listen, don't stop attempting to live the life of a godly follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stay true to the task, even though you may find yourself like the psalmist there, saying, Lord, I don't... I look around. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to let you live through me. I'm trying to obey your word. And it seems like the, the wicked are getting they're more prosperous and everything's going their way and hard things are coming my way and I'm being ostracized. And Oh, but listen. It's okay. We, we can be honest with God. Sometimes we feel, you know, we have this idea that because God is high and almighty and holy and, 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 and transcended and lifted up, that, that we can't be honest with Him. What kind of a parent wouldn't want their child coming to them and just being honest? Just be honest. We had to teach little Asher a little lesson yesterday because he, we were eating lunch and he went into the pantry to get something and all of a sudden, he lost his appetite. We heard a little commotion, but then he just said, I, I'm not hungry. We're in his bedroom. And, and his Mimi, she's got that very inquisitive nature about her, so she just started looking into things. And 
Lo and behold, the little fellow had gone into the pantry and accidentally knocked over a, a, a can of peanuts and they spilled. So he closed the pantry door and lost his appetite. <laughs> the old Adam nature, right? But his Mimi did a great job of saying to him, you know, Asher, that's okay. It was an accident. You can tell us. Please tell us anytime. Be honest. We can deal with that. And she helped him pick up. And then all of a sudden he got hungry again in eight seconds. So, but, but, you know, we can come to God and we can say, Lord, that just doesn't seem fair. I'm perplexed. I'm, uh, I'm struggling. <coughs> but then we begin to see, you know, that it says for, in verse 14, For all day long I have been plagued and, cl- and chastened every morning. You know, these, these health and wealth and prosperity gospel teachers and preachers out there that, that are giving this very misleading message to people, oh, just come to Jesus. And, and everything's going to be good in your life. And the things you want, He'll provide. And you'll be healthy again. And everything, people will like you. That's a lie. God's people suffer. Hey, wake up, okay? Amen? Amen. Some days you'll go through the whole day and it just seems like one problem on top of another problem and you say, oh my goodness, i got to go to bed. That's what I can take. You can't wait to get into bed, but lo and behold, you wake up with more problems. (laughs) But that doesn't mean you give up on God. That doesn't mean you throw in the towel. Listen to what the psalmist is saying as we look at verse 15 there. And, and folks, this begins the turning point of the psalm, of that particular psalm. Beginning in verse 15, there's something going on in the heart of the believer that will be the turning point. Verse 15, he's talking to himself. If I had said, I will speak thus. In other words, I'll just, I'll just go around griping and complaining and telling everybody what a hard time I'm having and how pitiful I am and how unfair things are and how, you know, if I just go running my mouth about how bad things are for me and how unfair life is, who's it going to help? <laughs> really? Don't you just love people like that? When you ask them, hey, how are you doing? Well, I had this lady, I used to visit this nursing home, I did messages over there, and I, inevitably every time I'd go in there, I'd ask her, hey, sister, how are you doing today? About half dead. Every week. So I just finally, I, I got tired of it. I, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, I, I just, she'd say, I'm about half dead. I said, well, look on the bright side, you're half alive. <laughs> Big stuff that way anyway. He's saying, what if I speak thus? Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Consider the impact of such a sour, negative line of talk to God's people. We all know that there are unfair things that happen out there in life. We all know that Christians struggle along the way. We all know there will be problems in the life of the believer. But that's not what we need to come and pour out to God's people. We need to be saying words of encouragement. And he said, you know, therefore, he's given some thought to this. In verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. 
When, when you convicted my heart, Lord, that, that I don't need to be going around having a pity party and spouting off negative stuff and talking about how unfair life is. Lord, when you made it clear that I don't have any business being that negative to your people for fear that it could pull them down and cause them to become disillusioned, particularly new believers. He's honest again. I'm just too painful. I can't do it. I can't, I can't keep that kind of feelings and emotions restrained. And I'm sure you have been to that point at some time in your life. If you're honest with yourself and with God, you just said, Lord, I, I can't hold this in. I can't deal with this. And then comes verse 17. This is the jewel. This is the jewel. Verse 17. Remember, we're looking at the transformation of the believer's outlook. Beginning in verse 15. And verse 17 is the jewel. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Asaph is either talking about the tabernacle or the temple. But the fact is, he finds himself drawn to that place that represented to the Jew the, the, the presence of God. Which means he's there and he has opened his soul up to God, Jehovah God, Yahweh, the God who loves covenanting with his people. And he's saying, oh Lord, it's so painful. And God hears him. I can't say enough about that verse because what you see is the writer, the believer, deliberately taking the initiative to approach God. Amen. Folks, it breaks my heart. It, it confuses my mind. How when Christians sometimes, or people calling themselves Christians or church members, when they stumble upon a problem or have a bad stroke of luck or some, it could be a bona fide burden or a crisis. And they drop out of church. They go out there somewhere, but they say, oh, my life is too bad. I'm having too many problems. I can't come to church. I'm saying, hey, wait a minute. Listen to what the psalmist is saying. When you're struggling and when things are happening in your life and you're hurting and, and you're under burdens, that's the time to run to God. Take the initiative. Go to Him. He says, oh, but when I went into the sanctuary of God, I got as close to Him as I could within a worship setting. It's there that I understood therein. It's there that God ministered to my soul the very things that I needed. Listen, James says in James chapter 4, verse 8, He says, draw near unto God. And God will what? He'll draw near to you. Praise the Lord. And that's the key. For all of us as believers, I love Isaiah 58, 9, where the, God says through Isaiah to the people, He says, then you will call upon, upon the Lord and then you will cry and He will say, here I am. But you see, God's waiting. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows exactly what's happening. So now we see God beginning to help the psalmist 
Asaph. Let's look at verse 18. He's helping Asaph to understand a very clear principle that is unchanging and it is set in stone as far as God's concerned. And that is, the wicked will be judged. The wicked will be judged. In this life, things may appear to be going along smoothly. They may appear to be prospering for, for a relatively short time on this side of eternity. But make no mistakes about it. God is still holy. He's still just. And He will bring judgment upon all the wicked. And He opens the eyes of the, of the psalmist to say that. Look in verse 18. He says, Surely you, God, Set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. And you know what? It happens swiftly too. It happens swiftly. Because those who are getting along in life and they're cheating people and they're lying and they're violent and they're deceptive and they're filthy and immoral and they're ungodly and they rebel against God. Listen, you know what? Death can come just like that. And suddenly the good life is over. Because what is waiting for them for eternity makes me shudder. Because God's got... Hey, listen. They're on slippery ground. Now the psalmist has stumbled along the way. But you saw from the Word of God, God promised He would never fall ultimately. But on the other hand, He's promising the psalmist, those who reject me, who rebel against me, He said, oh, they're going to fall. They're standing on slippery ground. I remember one time I was down at the White House... For those of you not Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, we have a house down here at the edge of the property that we have, and, and we have offices there. But anyway, it was one winter day, we'd had snow. We'd had sleet. And I was down there getting something out of the office, and just coming out, had my mind on a lot of things, a lot of things. And I, I came right, y'all know, if you've been to the White House there, concrete steps, boom, 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 right? So I was coming out of there, and forgot we'd had ice. Stepped out on up front, porch and both you know it's a sinking feeling it's a terribly sinking feeling when you look and your feet are straight out in front of you not one both of them like those cartoon characters in an instant I knew this is not going to be good <laughs> oh I had to think about it man my feet went boom. There, were, there was no traction there was nothing I could do to prohibit the fall and great was the fall and great was the pain in the back, too, when I hit that concrete step. But, but that's, that's the fate of the wicked. God has put their feet. There's nothing they can do. They're slipping. They don't realize it. They haven't come to see that. They're slipping. They're sliding. And eventually, they will plunge into the darkness of the fires of hell in judgment forever. They're utterly consumed with terrors. In verse 20, as a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. You say, well, that's, that's cold, that's heartless, that's, that's awful. Not to a holy and a righteous God. Who has sent His only begotten Son into a world that He would give His life. He died, shed His blood for the forgiveness of the sins. And people have thumbed their noses up at Him. They have rejected Him. Listen, don't you think God has wrath towards people like that? Who have spurned His love and grace and mercy all their lives? We're looking 
at the ultimate fate of the wicked there. You know, when I think about the slippery slope that the wicked and the unrighteous stand on, aren't you glad that your feet are solidly planted on the rock of Jesus Christ? Amen. <laughs> Praise God! No matter how the how life treats us, no matter the, the magnitude of the storms of life that come at us, no matter how big the problems are, the crisis or the tragedies that come our way, we can say with resounding confidence, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sick and sand. They will slip and fall, but not the believer. We look at the eternal blessing of the believers. We move further Thus, in verse 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my spirit. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Confession again. He's simply saying, Lord, all through this time when I was so perplexed in everything, I was like an unreasonable animal. I was just so miserable and I was perplexed in everything. And I, you know, and I realize, I realize that I don't, I don't need to be that way. He says, but, but praise God in verse 23. Nevertheless. Even in my perplexity, even in our state of perplexity, here's the beauty. He says, I was continually with you. And believer, listen, I don't care how confused you may get with the world scene, how perplexed or vexed your soul may be because of the wickedness you see going on, the unfairness you see going on. Listen, I don't care how much you may struggle with trying to wrap your mind around the injustices of this world, i got good news for you. In Christ Jesus, you are always with the Lord. And He is always with you. There is no separation. It's not like God gets mad and says, how dare you question me? Get out of here. No, you go in another room. Come back when you get your act together. No. <laughs> he says, you are continually with me. And that is a great word of comfort. Look at verse uh, in verse 23, you hold me by my right hand. God never lets us go. To a child, if you want the comfort, first thing, particularly right-handed. Now, if they're challenged like my wife, left-handed, I, lo I love you, Jan, and all the left-handed members of the church. I know for me, for me, if I'm in danger, if I'm struggling, if I'm seeking... I'm going to stick out my right hand. That's, that's my strongest hand. That's the most reliable hand. I'm going to, and he says, you hold me by my right hand. And when God holds us by our hand, we're with him, number one, continually. And he holds us by the right hand. He says, you hold me by my right hand. And praise God for that. Verse 24, you will guide me with your counsel. That's the word of God. And afterwards, receive me to glory. Did you get that? All the way. Every step of the way. Every step of the way through life, the problems, the perplexities, the, the injustices, the hardships, the trials. Listen, God's Word will counsel you. Amen. Don't leave the church. Don't leave God's Word. Stay close to the Lord and He will walk you through it right on into eternity. Into the very presence of God. Hallelujah. What a wonderful promise from the Lord. Yes. Verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Is that not true, brothers and sisters? 
Is that not where our strength ultimately lies? It's not in our intelligence. It's not in our reasoning abilities. It's not in our resources. It's not in the things that we have accumulated. Our strength is ultimately in God. And when we put our our faith and our trust in God, then we can walk with confidence knowing that He's with us. He said in verse 26, My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's close that with verse 27 and 28 as he talks about the contrasting outcomes for the wicked and the godly. Verse 27, For indeed those who fear, or those who are far from you will perish. There it is. They will. Those that don't like, those that don't love the Lord, don't know the Lord, they will ultimately, eternally perish. That's not annihilation. Doesn't mean they stop existing. That's what the world's crowd wants to think. That's what the secular humanists want you to think. Is oh, I'll die and that's just it. It's all over. I got news for them. Oh, no, it doesn't. It's just beginning. And what waits for them is a horrendous eternity in judgment and pain and torment, separated from the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, forever and ever and ever. Oh, listen, they will perish for eternity. He says, you have destroyed all those who desert you for holly tree. Look at verse 25, 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. It's good, God. It's good for me to be with you. It's good for me to chum up next to you. It's good for me to be close to you because I put my trust in you. Our theme verse for the team kids. Miss Vicky has been working so hard with them. Learning that, uh, that uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're teaching these kids. Many of them never been to church. Never haven't had exposure to the scriptures. We're teaching these kids a, a, a main verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not upon your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. I close by taking you back to Psalm 37, verse 5. I like to meditate on this psalm. It speaks so, so appropriately to the very perplexities that we just talked about. But, but listen, or you can read in Psalm 37. Psalmist says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as light. And your justice is noonday. Look at verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. And do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings like eagles. Hallelujah. They shall run and not be tired. They shall walk and not faint. Hallelujah. Why? Because they put their trust in the Lord. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord. For in Yah, the Lord, there is everlasting strength. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean upon your own understanding. 
No matter how unfair, perplexing life may be. Listen, the world's crowd is going just the direction God knew they would go. Don't worry about what they may have and you don't have. You just praise God every day you get up and put your feet on the floor that you belong to Him and He belongs to you. Amen? Amen. And God will see us through, I'm confident. Praise the Lord.